This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day to day, how they got there and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge. And we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Professionals Podcast. Sarge, who are we speaking with today? Luke, today, very excited to be speaking to Rebecca Ingleton. Rebecca is an urban designer at Human Habitats, an urban design outfit driven by a passion for urbanism, following the best of precedents set by our most loved villages, towns, and cities. After high school, Rebecca enrolled in a Bachelor of Environments, which is now known as a Bachelor of Design, at the University of Melbourne, where she discovered an interest in urban history eventually changing her major to urban planning and design. Rebecca eventually ended up at Human Habitats after finishing her degree, where she has now been working for four years. With a love for understanding how cities can be better designed, Rebecca has an exciting path ahead of her, which she can't wait, which we can't wait to hear all about. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So you're an urban designer. What, what does an urban designer do? So pretty much we are kind of like architects, but for cities. So we'll get given a piece of land, say on the outskirts of Melbourne or any other sort of major city and rural and regional towns as well. Um, And we work for developers to liaise with other engineers, um, council, and we prepare plans and designs for these towns, cities and public spaces. So, and when you're given one of these big parcels of land, are you given like a, a a sheet that says, "Hey, you know, this is where we need to take it," or is it, or is it very like you, you're, it's up to you as to to what gets designed on the land? Um, it kind of depends where you're designing. So, within the metropolitan areas, there is a pretty high level plan set by the Victorian Planning Authority, and we work within the guidelines that they give us. So they designate how much land has to be for schools, parks, um, where your town centres are. But within those um, boundaries, we can work to try and create a cool place and try and make the best communities we can. Unreal. I really want to unpack kind of what urban design is in a little bit because I think we can have a bit of more like of a macro discussion around that but do you want to talk a bit in more granular detail to your role and kind of you know you're in human habitats for now four years how kind of senior are you compared to say a graduate uh, you know a newcomer to the to the space and, and what does your day-to-day look like in the team so i guess day-to-day um i'll look at a piece of land download all the autocad data survey plans which you get given from the engineers and surveyors and then um We'll liaise with emails, meetings, um, with drainage engineers, traffic engineers, um, arborists, uh, ecologists and landscapers to try and, um, I guess, figure out all the constraints and opportunities of the site. So a lot of land might have um, a drainage line running through it and you have to construct a waterway um, or there could be Aboriginal cultural heritage sensitivity um, uh, things on the site. So you have to take all of these things into account when you're designing. And first of all, that all gets dumped into a big um, uh, automated sort of computer modeling program called CAD. And we do designs within that and then use a lot of um, the Adobe Creative Suite to uh, persuade council and clients to um, 
achieve the vision that we and the client wants to achieve for the site. So do you need to go and get all that information and put that into CAD or does that happen for you? Um, Well, I feel like with urban design, you're often the, um, you're the collator of all this information. So you'll get the survey plan from the surveyors who go out on site and actually like measure where the tidal boundaries are and the trees and the roads and the existing houses and stuff. So they do all that and we get given the computer file and then we work within that file, drag in the intersection designs. Um, we put in all the roads, footpaths and lot layouts and yeah. So it's pretty technical, but it's also you have to kind of be able to design at really low, uh, really small detail and then also look at the big picture and understand your piece of land within a greater community, within a city, um, within transport networks. And yeah, so it's quite interesting. It's really, I'm really excited to have you on, um, Rebecca, to speak from the urban design, uh, I guess, aspect of it. Because we've spoken to, say, a civil engineer, we've spoken to an architect who builds houses and we've spoken to a construction yeah. person in construction who builds, you know, the, the big um, towers in the city. Who is your client when, when someone comes in to you and, and you're designing something for them? Who, who are you working for? So we work for often the landowner. So say if it's in a farmland sort of area, it could be, literally the, far, the farmer that's lived on that land for his whole life and it could be their first development ever. Or often that land has been bought up by larger development companies, um, your, your land leases and your Mervax or the big ones and stuff. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of development community uh, companies across um, Australia and Melbourne. Um, and, yeah, so usually they're our client, but we also do work for councils and there's urban design roles in-house at council as well. So... You can either work as a consultant for the developers or um, work for council assessing those de- those designs. And it sounds like Human Habitats where you work now has this, uh, I, I guess, philosophy of how they would like cities to be developed. Is there a big piece in that in uh, speak talking your clients through that and like they're trying to build, you know, their little parcel of land to make money and make it all, all yeah. great and everything. But you sound or seem to have this kind of bigger picture perspective on we want this city to become X, Y, Z. Is that yeah. a, is that a challenge? Yeah, definitely. So we are obviously just always striving to create really people centric designs. So prioritizing pedestrians and people in the community, a lot of times you encounter, um, uh, issues with council or or the developers being like, oh well, that it's a good idea, but it might it, it's too costly or it's a bit too much extra work for everyone involved. But I think the way that you have to um, present your argument is by improving the amenity, the cultural amenity, the social amenity, the landscaping. It increases the value of their land as well, and they they could get higher returns for their. Um, each lot they could sell for more. So I think you have to frame it both in a commercial way, but also like this is good for the environment. It's good to have more pockets of landscaping so that we can have deep rooted trees and that's better for um, the urban heat island effect and um, yeah, biodiversity. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of little argumentative tools that you can use. And um, a lot of that has to do with like having great example imagery um, being able to prepare 3D models that demonstrate your ideas is really big at the moment. Um, we've recently in the last two years gotten into that at our office, which is pretty fun, kind of creating 
3D like video games. <laughs> uh, it sounds super. One thing that springs to mind immediately for me is SimCity. Yeah. Is that yeah. a pretty good, is that a good, pretty good proxy for, for what you do? Yes, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, I only ever mean- played the Sims Island one though, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think that was well, well beyond my time too. You've mentioned a few times the term people centric design. Can you give us a unpack that un, give us a few minutes on that and unpack what people centric design is? So um, I guess that refers to we want designs to be considering the people at at people scale. So that was probably poorly explained, but often designers or planners or high level plans look at really big macro um environments so you're like this is a major arterial road and it's going to go through here and there's going to be residential on either side but when you actually realize that at street level that can be really um, a barrier between those two communities because you're physically separating them out and it's just understanding the implications of high level decisions at um, a more granular level and also understanding like how detail on the floor does matter. So using high quality materials, um, planting mature trees to increase shade, like understanding how that experience impacts the pedestrians at, um, at a street level while you're designing in the future. Like obviously we can't really see what it's going to look like, but you can get a good idea and try and make it the best that you can for those people. When you do that design too, you're designing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years time. So you really do need to think about what is this going to look like then versus what does it look like the next five years, say? Yeah. And how will this develop over time? What's going to be the interim outcome and how can we make the interim outcome just as good as the ultimate outcome? On that point, Rebecca, and this just brings me back to what uh, my, my boss at work always talks about is like to be good at kind of any role you need to be really good at looking at everything from a high level but then at the same time have the ability to drill down in the really granular detail and get all of that right as well like does that is that basically what you're talking about there yeah yeah definitely yeah all right cool it sounds super interesting do you want to talk us through a little bit more i guess in a a bit more detail and talking to say students that are thinking oh this sounds like a cool job like what are you actually doing in your role as a you know a, a junior level urban designer um, in a place like human habitats, like what you talked about a bit about modeling before, what, what does your day to day look like? Yeah. So I'll probably spend a couple hours every day doing those AutoCAD designs, like working in these computer programs. I'll spend quite a few hours liaising and doing meetings with, uh, mostly the other engineering teams and developers. Um, sometimes with councils we'll do big presentations that I work on preparing the packages that we present. Um, so that's a lot of like, um, graphic design as well. So if you're interested in graphic design, there's a lot of that involved too. And you have to be able to utilize Photoshop, uh, InDesign, Illustrator, all the good stuff, um, to prepare succinct, concise, but attractive, um, presentations. And I think that's a really valuable and important skill. Um, what else do we do? We select the trees that we want to plant in a specific street and you put the footpaths and the pedestrian crossings in. So yeah, you're getting, we work on a diversity of different types of projects in a city and um, I guess more rural. So um, yeah, it's a good spread. 
On those tasks, like say, you know, your example of choosing the different trees for particular straits, is there a piece in that in going out and asking, you know, a community that exists that is kind of similar to the thing that you're trying to build, what they would like or what they think is bad where they're living and what they would want to be improved? Like, is there that engagement piece in your job as well? Um, Not so much in my role. We would probably, um, and not really in my company, you would um, councils do a lot of that work themselves and they'll prepare a preferred species list that suits the climate of that council area. Um, it'll propose the indigenous trees to that local area and the net trees native to that area. So um, it's a lot about also what suits the natural environment. And But, yeah, we do like to look at really good examples of good developments and see what they've done and try and imitation is the highest form of flattery. So... <laughs> Yeah, do, you, do you have a favourite um, urban design that's been done recently that you'd refer students to as a good example of, of something that they should be striving to if they want to get into the space? I have just, I'm working on a project at the moment um, down in Cranbourne and um, we're trying to figure out what the vision for the site is there. And one of the developments that we've been referred to by the client as one of their favourites is one called Tullamore in Doncaster. And just like zooming around that on Google Street View, because unfortunately we haven't been able to mm. go to site during this corona situation, um, is a really good example of a good built form outcome. Awesome. What's the most fulfilling part of your role? And I, and I ask that because there's not often that we speak to someone that has potentially such an impact on such a broad, um, I guess, uh, spatial area. <laughs> yeah, spatial area, but you know, number yeah. of people, right? So if you're building a new community, there could be thousands of people living there. Like when I hear that, it's like, oh, that, that sounds awesome. Like that sounds really fulfilling. Is that, is that one of them? And, and if not, you know, what, what are some other fulfilling parts of the role? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, there's heaps of, um, I guess, literature on how behavior is impacted on by the streets that you live in, how much access to green open space that you have how beneficial that is for your physical and mental health um, and for just community connectivity. If you're proud of the place you live in, you're more likely to speak to your neighbours, you're more likely to um, pick up rubbish if it's on the floor. Like it, there's there's a lot of thought about that as well. And um, we also really value housing diversity so that you have different levels of socioeconomic people uh, demographics living together and that's great for the fabric of society as well so there's all these things that you can really strive for and um, I recently went on a trip to Canada with this um, ISS Institute fellowship that I did and it was all about analyzing public open spaces and how they succeeded with those over there um, and how can we mimic that in Australia and that was really a valuable thing being able to go and be like, all right, this is an awesome example of a great open space. We're going to capture the best parts of this and do it here. And then being able to go back in maybe 10 years and see that and see people enjoying the space, I'm sure will be very fulfilling. Is, is Canada one of the leaders in, in that space? Um, yeah, definitely. They've got, uh, and it has quite a similar, um, I guess, uh, demographics and just the way that Canada is as a country is quite similar to the way that Australian society is structured. So a lot of parallels that you can draw in the cityscapes. Rebecca, your, your trip to Canada, and I want to talk about that in a bit more detail um, in a sec, but that might be a good segue into a question that I want to ask. Like there, there seems to be so much development in 
technology particularly, but say, uh, you know, driverless cars for one example and um, solar energy being used on, on roads and whatnot. Like there, there seems to be so much development happening. What's the, what's the piece on that for someone in your position? Like how much reading are you doing in terms of, oh, we're building this now, but in 15 years time, there could be all of this different stuff that, you know, could be used. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you view that? Well, there's um, cities going up in China everywhere called smart cities. There's one in Argentina. There's one, there's a couple in, I think the UAE um, where everything's kind of interconnected and all the technology is very, um, it all speaks to each other. Um, I think that's something that really only works if you've got a lot of money to sink into it. And it, it's not really the way that um, the Australian development community is set up at the moment. Maybe in the future that will change. But I guess something that urban designers personally can have uh, impact on is trying to implement those technologies into housing design guidelines that every house in um, every lot that we develop has a set of rules that are applied to it to say you must build um, a two-story house here, you must have at least one tree in your front yard and two in your backyard. So we can set those rules and we can say you must have solar panels and you must have access to a rainwater tank. So the developers can choose to, if they want to, put these set of rules in and that's some, a way that they can encourage um, sustainability, um, energy efficiency goals. Um, yeah, so there, there are ways that we can influence that, but it's probably not as easy as being like, every street in this street is powered by solar energy because it's it's just not really the way that the councils are structured. I'll put my hopes for a solar-powered road <laughs> to, to yeah. be for the minute. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's, it sounds a bit prescriptive, I think. Yeah. Keen, Rebecca, keen to understand your journey into human habitats because urban design wasn't always at the forefront of your mind. What were you thinking about when you were back in year 10, year 11, that year 12, and what sort of subjects were you doing and where was your head then? Yeah. I was always obsessed with the idea of being an architect and I used to just draw floor plans everywhere and scraps of paper and draw my dream house everywhere. Um, still kind of for my dream house, which is a bit sad, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, but, yeah, no, so I um, did bio and further in year 11, so two, three, fours in year 11, and then um, – I really loved bio, so I was like, oh, maybe I should be a doctor, but um, I didn't do chem or any of those, so that fell through pretty quickly. But, yeah, no, I was, really liked maths and I liked design, so I did visual communications and design and that was the subject that I really sunk my teeth into and um, I put so much effort into that that it really brought up the rest of my, um, uh, what are they called? ATAR. ATAR. Yeah, yeah, ATAR. Yeah. What, what, what was it about um, VizCom that you really enjoyed? Well, it was just so creative. And we got to choose what project you wanted to do. I designed a, um, a surf lifesaving club, their logo, all their merch. Um, so it was just really fun, like mucking around on Google SetchUp and mucking around on Illustrator, making different logos. And yeah, I really spent all my free periods in there. And because I, did four subjects in year 12. I had a bit of extra time to, to really sink my teeth into it. So, and, and hopefully to listen, listen to podcasts like this, if they existed back then. <laughs> exactly. No, definitely. 
<laughs> and so you chose to study a Bachelor of Com- the Bachelor of Environments at Melbourne Uni. Was that just a logical thing to do for someone who was interested in, in architecture at the time? Um, if I had have been solely interested in architecture, I probably would have, um, I really wanted to be in the Melbourne city. So I was really looking at um, your RMIT and Melbourne. Yep. My whole family has gone to a residential college. And so I've grown up hearing stories about going to Queen's College and getting really pissed and making the best friends ever. And, um, <laughs> that sounded really appealing to me. So I went to Melbourne Uni on the hope that I could get into college. And, um, yeah, so that the Bachelor of Environments had a um, major in architecture. So that was really where I was headed. But uh, all the architecture subjects I did in first year, like I liked them, but they didn't quite capture me as much as the urban history ones, which everybody in the Bachelor of Environments had to do because you had to do some broad sort of um, bachelor subjects the whole way through as well as your major. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's how I really got interested in that. Just on that, how would you describe the difference between doing VizCom in Year 12 and, and doing those first few subjects of architecture when you started at Melbourne Uni? Um. To be honest, I think they were quite similar. You were given a brief a target of things you have to do. It just a, a lot of these design subjects are just time-consuming. You've just yeah. got to plan for it. And I've never been the kind of person who can just smash out a 2,000-word essay on the day. I've always had to slowly chip away at things. I think that's just the way I'm wired. And um, it's the same with any sort of design folio subject. you just got to chip away. You can't leave it to last minute because the volume of work that you have to produce. It doesn't all have to be great quality. Like you can, they really encourage you to experiment with like drawing styles and that, that forms part of your folio and your design workshop and creativity as well. So um, yeah, you can't just smash out a whole volume of folio the night before, or you can try, but it might not be great. Yeah. Not, not, not to harp on this point for too long, Rebecca, but you're obviously someone that got, got into um, environments thinking that you wanted to do architecture. We've had a few people do the same thing and go on to something else and mm-hmm. for, and it's for, for different reasons, but I think the underlying kind of commonality with that is that it wasn't what they were expecting and they probably didn't do a lot of reading to figure out, or reading or talking or whatever, to figure out what that was. Was that yeah. a similar experience for you? Yeah, so I did meet up with um, a couple of architectural firms throughout and I did work experience in year 12 maybe at an architecture firm, FMD Architects, and um, everyone worked really late all the time, worked really hard, didn't really leave the office. I thought architecture would be like, I'm going to go to this beautiful house that I'm building and just admire it. And, like, I thought you'd get out of the office more, but if you work for a and I, I don't want to be like, don't do architecture, but um, not all the reviews I received were um, all that positive. And um, I like my work-life balance. Oh, so I think on a, that's a, something I value. On a broader <laughs> note, it underscores that like choosing a career pathway is as much about what that career pathway looks like in terms of like, are you dealing with people all the time? Are you sitting yeah. in front of a computer screen all the time? Are you building things? Yeah. So it's like, it's not just about the subject matter. It's like, what does your day actually look like? Yeah. And I think that's and something that people don't, don't really realize until they do an internship or have studied for three years and then get into where they might've thought they wanted to be yeah. and be like, oh gee, this isn't actually what I thought it was. Yeah. So I guess for that point, I just encourage everyone to 
see if you can do a week's work experience somewhere or just call up and ask if you can have a coffee and and talk to even junior people in firms and see how they're enjoying themselves because everyone's different. Some people thrive in that sort of environment, but I think personally, uh, it, yeah, it just wasn't the right path for me in the end. We're, we're massive advocates for that. And I know that worked out kind of well for you, but before we get there, do you want to step us through your decision? So you've done your urban history subject, loved it, wanted to find out a bit more. How did you go about making the decision to, I guess, pivot, if you want to call it that, to the urban design side of things and, and getting into that um, a bit more than architecture? So in um, second year, we had to allocate our majors. I think it was halfway through the year um, to decide what we were doing. Um, and I just, yeah, as I said, I loved urban history and there was quite a few, there was quite a lot of crossover between the architecture subjects and the urban design and planning ones. Um, so I was still doing a lot of those architecture ones. So I kept my options open for quite a while until maybe third year where I really had to be like, okay, this is now I, this is hundred percent my major. And, um, in the first semester of third year, I went on exchange to McGill university in Canada, in Montreal. And I just had such an awesome teacher called Sarah Moser, Dr. Sarah Moser. And she is a new master plan cities scholar and professor there. And I just was obsessed with the subject. It was just so interesting. We were looking at all these amazing master planned communities and cities all throughout the world and analyzing what they'd done right, what they'd done wrong, why they did what they did and understanding. Can you just explain what master planned, what's that? Is that an institute or is that a theory? Master planned is like kind of what we do where you like look at a city holistically and you lay out the layout for the whole thing. So for example, uh, Canberra is a master plan city because the whole thing was designed. Um, so, so you start from paper. scratch. Start from yeah. scratch. Yeah. And you're not, you're not trying to bits pieces together. Yeah. So like, what's another example of a master plan city? There's many, but <laughs> um, I'm having a mind blank now. Um, I imagine there'd be a fair few in China given they have a oh, lot yeah. of empty space that they're developing. Yeah. At, at exactly. quite a rate. At a pace. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and there's quite a lot in um yeah, the UAE. There's one called King Abdullah Economic City, which um this teacher went into a lot of detail about as she'd visited there. And I was just like so interested that you could design an entire city on paper and then it is just built. It just blew my mind. And yeah. So she was a very influential person in me. Um uh, turning to master planning. So within our urban design, you master plan. So, yeah. Yeah. And then what was it? So you've come back from Canada and had this kind of, I don't know if you call it an epiphany, but a realization <laughs> that you really wanted to get into this. What did that look like in say your last year? And then when you're looking to get, go, okay, I'm coming to the end of the my degree, I need to get a job. Yeah. Um, what were you thinking that you would um, kind of get into? So we did a couple of sort of networking events in third year with just like people in the urban development industry came and presented and kind of told us what they do. We had engineers come, um, uh, big developing companies, commercial developers, like um, because we did a lot of uh, events with the property development side of environments as well um, and property management. So yeah, we just really got to talking to different architects, designers, landscape architects. Um, and I kind of 
honed in on a couple of companies that I really like the vibe of and just would cold call them and send them my resume all the time until one of them wrote back to me, no, we don't have any availability now. But mm-hmm. I think it, it was good to get better at being able to prepare a resume and just put yourself out there. So that was good practice. But oh, it's then, definitely uh, not wasted time. Yeah, yeah. And then um, in third year, I had a really cool uh, uh, lecturer who took a liking to me and she got me my first planning role just as a um, land use auditor for the city of Dan, uh, city of Casey. Oh, no, sorry, Greater Dandenong then. It was in the Dandenong area. Um, and what, what does a land use auditor do? So we walked around with these big, like, tablet things and assessed the land uses. Um, so it's really, it's not really what I'm doing now at all, but it's in the urban planning environment a sort of field yep. and it was just great to have a little foot in the door for when I went for my next role to say, yes, I've had some office experience and this is not my first rodeo and please hire me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, that might've been your first, I guess, um, uh, industry-based experience uh, mm. f- for that. But did you have any part-time jobs and whatnot that you could, I guess, call upon at, you know, that uh, experience section in the resume or skills or anything like that that you had kind of worked on throughout your university time? Um, I did a lot of catering and worked as a barista and did a lot of weddings. Um, that was mostly my part-time job, but also worked for Cricket Victoria doing a um, facilities audit, so had some office experience and was uh, responsible for managing a project outcome. So I think that is a big part of any sort of consultancy role is being able to manage your project timelines and meet your deliverables and ensure that your work gets done efficiently. And I think that was something good that I could call upon and be like, yes, I can do this. That's something we like to talk talk about a lot, and some people call it soft skills, but I just think it's you know you're not um, you're not uh, I guess central skills of your profession, but those kind of periphery ones. What yeah. are some you know time management might be one of them, but what are some other things that students might not uh, I guess appreciate is a really important part of of a role um, until they kind of get in there and get thrown in the deep end. Um, well. Probably actually preparing invoices and billing people. That's something that I've probably only started doing in the past two years. And you may have done the work, but the way that you phrase it is really important to the clients and making sure it's very professional and there's no spelling mistakes and everything adds up and Mm. managing and preparing fee proposals for new work as well. So there's a whole sort of area that I definitely didn't think I'd be doing for a while that you've got to start thinking about and that keeps you accountable with um, how long you've been working on a project, where you're supposed to be, how much money you've spent to get yourself to that part of the project and how much more of your budget you have left. So just being aware of budgets as well. So, yeah. I love that you say that because I think that underscores a really important point that also often gets overlooked that you you should understand or at least try to understand the business you actually operate in and, and how that makes money. And it's not that you... Yeah you need to know all the finer details, but if you, you understand the industry and and the drivers and like you say, the billing and the importance of, of, of issuing an invoice and, and making sure it actually gets paid, like these little things, they all contribute to, to that, that place that you're working at. Yeah. And if you understand that, I think it helps you do your job better because you, you kind of understand where you fit into the bigger picture. 
Yeah. 100%. And I reckon uh, I definitely used to take longer on things because I was just like, oh, well, I'll just put it onto the bill and no one will know. But you, you do. You, yeah, no, it's people all definitely listed know. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just slow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rekki, you've said a couple of times, you mentioned Canada. Do you want to take us into a bit more detail as to why that is such a, uh, I guess, an attractive place for you from a professional standpoint? Yeah, well, Vancouver, um, Calgary and uh, Toronto are three of the top 10 cities in the world. So um, it's internationally recognised, just like Melbourne, as um, having some really amazing cityscapes and being really creative and vibrant cities. Um, I had the fortune to go to Vancouver this year, or last year, sorry, um, and went to a, a Eco City World Summit there um, at conference where we talked about climate change and impacts of urban development on that and how we can best achieve best practice to try and mitigate the impacts of climate change. So it was kind of scary, kind of a bit soul destroying understanding the climate change and the impacts that cities have on it, but it's good to see people all working together to try and create more sustainable communities. And once you understand it, you can, um, you take steps to actually help the situation too. Yeah. So it's it's not all, it's not all dire. <laughs> it's not all dire. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I really like, I fell in love with Canada because of my exchange program there. Um, and I always wanted to go back. So when I was fortunate to, um, receive this fellowship grant to go and study public open spaces there for a month, I jumped on the opportunity and was, really valued that time so it was great i think any opportunity and obviously you know in, in covid normal once we can travel and whatnot i think any opportunity to go overseas is an awesome one but it sounds mm. like and correct me if i'm wrong but um it, it getting into the profession that you are in it's a very uh it's a global opportunity you don't have to be accredited in australia as opposed to the states or england or, or whatever it might be you can really go yeah. anywhere is that is that true Yep. You actually don't need an accreditation to be an urban designer at all. You just have to have the skills to do so. So um, there are different avenues to getting to become a consultant planner or urban designer. Definitely having a degree would be the fastest way there. But, um, yeah, there's, there's different methods of doing so and you can work in different planning um, systems. Sometimes nothing's the same, but you'll, you'll learn it thrown in the deep end you'll learn it quickly <laughs> and on that point in terms of learning stuff quickly and um i guess having looking at it from a very baseline perspective if there's a you know a year 11 or year 12 or university student that's saying you know i've got weekends i can i can upskill on something um would it be you know breaking up the or breaking open the adobe suite and trying to punch around in indesign or illustrator or is there something like that that you could recommend that they spend a bit of time on yes definitely getting into um autocad and the Adobe suite would be my top two recommendations. If you're interested in learning 3D modeling, um, there's Rhino and Revit, probably Rhino for what we do as it's most closely based to AutoCAD. So a lot of the commands are the same because um, I'm pretty sure Rhino was made by ex-AutoCAD employees. So it's pretty simple. There you go. But yeah, there's a lot of online um, tutor- like Linda tutorials and free YouTube tutorials. It's- a lot of content there if you have the time to do it. 
Yeah. And that, that, what you just said there in terms of you need, or certainly when I'm trying to learn a new skill, it, it's way easier to have something to apply it to, even though it's, you know, made up or whatever, but are there resources that you can access that say, here's a fake project and we're going to work on this skill to, to do this project? Or, or is it a bit more kind of airy fairy in terms of we're just going to learn well, this skill? You could choose a piece of land and do that. So you could, if you were interested in um, precinct studio planning and urban designing, um, we work in, in, for example, in the metro area, we work in precinct structure plans and that outlines, as I said, like where schools are, high level, where big roads are, where inter- uh, signalised intersections are. If you're interested in trying to figure out what that process would be, just choose a plot of land and try and do a design within it and you can use all those um, different resources online for the um, precinct structure plan just gives you a high level thing to work within so yeah sounds like a super summer project yeah i would imagine if if a student had done one or two of them and and popped that on a resume that would uh be a fast way to to the top of the pile for an internship or at least a coffee somewhere yeah definitely i reckon unreal um with that rebecca what are some things that uh, i know we kind of touched on it earlier but for students that are thinking that this sounds great what are some things that you really just didn't um, expect coming into the profession? And that might be how global it was or, or the different opportunities that are available to you. What would you kind of, if, if you're singing from the rooftops, this is a great great way to come in or a great place mm-hmm. to come in too. Why is it so great and what, what, what makes it so interesting for you? Um, I think the, the fact that you kind of have to learn a lot of different aspects of different multidisciplinary um, careers. So, we have to understand a lot of traffic engineering rules. You have to have a high-level understanding of how water falls and drainage. You have to have an understanding of um, economics because you have to know whether a project stacks up. And there's, it's very multifaceted what we do and we bring in all this different knowledge. And I really like the, um, I guess, uh, diversity of content that you put into a project and also the fact that we work so closely with landscape architects and designers. So having done urban design, I didn't really think that I would be doing landscape architecture projects, but I've, we've just designed a pier. Like, That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> didn't think I'd be doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that as well, who you mentioned before that you have your, your mentor or your teacher in Canada was quite a big mentor for you. Um, do you have any other mentors or th- or resources you recommend that students consult if if they are interested in the design and urban planning sort of space? Um, there is a classic book by Jane Jacobs called Eyes on the Street. Um, that's a very standard urban design answer. You'll get that from anyone who's in, in the field. Um, there's also a really interesting um, book and TED Talk by a man called Jeff Speck, who's the urbanist in, um, I think, Portland, Oregon. Um, And he's got a really interesting uh, book called Walkable Street and the Walkable Neighbourhood. So, yeah, I'd Google Jane Jacobs and Jeff Speck and I'd do Linda tutorials. I like it. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it, Rebecca. So thanks for coming on the show today. It's been awesome to to learn a, a bit about urban design and all the fantastic things that we'll hopefully see in our cities in the near future. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you.